Well, it's good to be back here with you again this morning. Looking forward to our time together. And it's uh, amazing how quickly time moves on. And it's, uh, it's good, I guess, that way. But it's uh, uh, here we are on the last, last uh, session or the last time of this time together. The church, the Holy Bride of Christ. God has blessed me with a wonderful wife. I referred to Judy different times, and it's, I'm glad uh, that she has the privilege of being here with me this time. We had met, and we had a time of getting to know each other. And God seemed to be leading us toward marriage, okay? And as the time grew closer, the excitement grew. For up until now, we could only see each other occasionally. But then we realized that we would be together. That anticipation gave us a great deal of motivation. The day of our marriage finally came. What we were so anxiously anticipating became reality. You know, the scriptures use a similar word picture when they describe Christ and His church. The Bible speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus taught in parables about weddings and the need to be prepared. This morning we're looking at the church as the Holy Bride of Christ. We had the... uh, How many of you have been parents that have planned weddings for your daughters or your children? You know what I'm talking about? Quite a lot of work goes into that, right? Uh, We, we, both of our daughters got married in the last five years or so, and we were fairly significantly involved in the planning. The second one was kind of in the middle of COVID, so we got to plan several different weddings before we had the... uh, the one that that actually happened. It's an outdoor wedding with right at 100 people present, so that was fine. My first point, we have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Weddings are popular affairs, at least uh, for many people. People like to be invited to weddings. When there's a wedding announced, conversations can start buzzing. Ah, did you hear that so-and-so are engaged? Did you hear that... Uh, that uh, Ricky John and Ashley are planning to be married. Let's say there's a group of women that are gathered around, say they're quilting or something. Do do women here in Gladys still quilt? Uh, Do they get together for sewings and that kind of thing? The conversation that starts buzzing around the quilt. uh, So Doris, she turns to Wilma and asks, did you get invited to so-and-so's wedding? And... uh, Anyway, uh, Wilma says, yes, we did, and I'm so looking forward to it. I just love weddings. How about you, Doris? Uh, Well, I guess we'll probably go, though I'll admit to being a bit peeved. The invitation came and was duly received, but it was clearly addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Sam and Doris Yoder. We got the message. Little Lois had to cry when she caught on that the children hadn't been invited. 
How about you, Sarah? Did you get an invitation? Well, either it's awfully late or we're just not going to get one. I guess we're not important enough with enough connections to have qualified for this wedding. You know, people planning weddings have some limitations. Uh, and I have been just kind of blown away as I've heard some of these people talking or some of this, this conversation about the wedding. Well, we just had to take a good look at it, and we said, you know, we're going to invite 700, no more, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this morning, we all have an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Whereas man is limited, God is not. Revelation 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. We're invited to take of the water of life freely. As I looked at that, this was something that, and I think Milo referred this morning, and it's interesting to hear people uh, uh, speak back what they are hearing, and it's, and it's interesting the perspective uh, that is coming out in teaching that maybe isn't necessarily even the, uh, the center piece of what I was hoping to, uh, to share. But as I was noticing this, something struck me recently as I was studying this. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So it's not just Jesus out there inviting his people in, but it's also the bride that is involved in that invitation. And so I think Milo was referring to this morning the complicity that we have in the different parts of, of, of the church of Jesus Christ, how important that the function of the bride is. And so actually a very real part of that invitation isn't just Jesus standing at the door and knocking but it's the Spirit and the Bride saying, come. And that, that blesses me. Revelation twenty two seventeen. what does it say? Whosoever will. The supply doesn't even seem to enter the equation. It's whosoever will. The maker of the universe isn't hampered for lack of provisions. 700 on a, on a, on a guest list isn't anything out of the way at all. I think actually in that situation, the assumption was that uh, though we might invite 700, we're expecting no more than three or 400 of those kinds of things. Recent wedding, uh, Judy and I attended. By the time we got through the food line, the chicken was pretty much gone. And evidently, the supply situation at weddings isn't a real new problem. You know, Jesus' first uh, miracle there in John 2 in Cana of Galilee. What was the problem? Ran out of wine. Who fixed it? Jesus. The supply isn't part of the equation on the marriage supper of the Lamb. We don't have to worry about the buffet line running out of chicken or grape juice, we'll say. <laughs> The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, Second Peter 3, verse 9, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
God is calling his people. He wants us to come to repentance. He's inviting us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today, have we all heard that invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb? The invitation is open. It's generous. God is calling his people. Have you sent in your RSVP? Have you sent in your RSVP and told him you're coming? Second point, not everyone will come to the wedding. In Matthew 22, Jesus taught in a parable about a marriage that the king had planned for his son. And it seems there's parallels with, uh, though I don't think it calls necessarily this a... uh, It it seems that he, he would be referring to this upcoming marriage to the church, his holy bride. Matthew 22, verse 1, and Jesus answered. I plan to be reading quite a few scriptures this morning, so bear with me. Matthew 22, verse 1, and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took the servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So these servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. In this way, in this, uh, parable, it seems that Jesus was addressing the Jews which had rejected Jesus. They were not interested in coming to this wedding. They not only scorned the invitation, but took the king's servants and treated them scornfully, even killed some of them. That's what happened to many of Jesus' followers. Jesus himself was killed. But then something happened that is such a beautiful concept, and I keep coming back to it again and again. What happened when the Jews rejected Jesus? The door is open for us Gentiles. And what a privilege we have to be born on this side of Calvary. We as far, I mean, I assume that we are all of non-Jewish heritage and... uh, that we as Gentiles have been granted entrance into Christ's kingdom. What a privilege we have. You know, I find it difficult to, comp- or to comprehend God's plan for, for His people in the old dispensa- dispensation. He worked through the Jewish nation of Israel. I don't know how it would have been to be in an Amorite or a Hittite, Hivite or Jebusite in the conquest of Canaan. I don't know, and it isn't necessary to waste a lot of time thinking about it, but we have a tremendous advantage to be living in 2023 in uh, Campbell County, Virginia, uh, where the 
salvation and the invitation is open to all of us Gentiles. What a blessing. What a blessing. Whosoever will shall take of the water of life freely. The Jews rejected God's invitation and now salvation is open to us Gentiles. And to be fair, to be clear, there are still Jews who are responding to God's voice and have accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't want to make it unilateral that way. And Gabriel, if you were into saying amen, that would be a good time to say amen. Salvation has been opened to us uh, Gentiles, and we have the option, we have the privilege of being entered in here. <laughs> well, moving on, there were, there were excuses for missing the feast. <clears throat> Luke 14 contains a similar parable to the one recorded in Matthew. In Luke, I don't think it explicitly calls this a wedding feast, but it contains similar elements to the Matthew story. The people, the invited people, did not come. And in this parable, there were different excuses or distractions that the people used to stay away from this great feast. Okay, uh, maybe I'll just read a couple of verses here. Luke 14, verse 16, Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. The food was ready, the servants were sent to invite the guests in. What a privilege, what excitement. The great meal is now ready, and we get to share the great news with the guests. Can you imagine the disillusion, the disappointment on the part of the one who had prepared the feast? As in verse 18 it says, And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Can you imagine buying a piece of ground without having examined it closely beforehand? Paul was talking about it last evening, that they had a chance to opportunity to buy a farm. And, and uh, I haven't been involved in a lot of farm purchases, but it's not something typically that you would take without a fair amount of, uh, of premeditation, right, Milo? Something that major, I think you would want to be pretty sure of what you're getting before you would plunk down the money. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. So you need to try out these oxen? Didn't he try them out before he bought them? In most places, I think you would tend to try out a car before you would buy them. Buy it, right? Now, here in Gladys, I'm not quite sure. I think maybe buying a car is a little like getting a jug of milk at the supermarket. You just go over to Lynn Martin's and you kind of put your hand out and grab a Volvo and head home. <laughs> anyway, and another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now this one had married a wife. How about the women here at Gladys? Do you like to go to banquets? Weddings? I mean, 
lame excuse or what? <laughs> I don't know. Then the master of the house being angry. No, no, okay. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Again, the parable seems to be directed toward those who refused. The refusal seems based on some rather lame excuses. It's fairly easy for us to look critically at those excuses and the three specific uh, uh, examples that were used. A big feast, invitation, three poor excuses. But I would like to look at these three excuses and make parallels that can be applicable to us today. Three parallels that may strike closer to us than we would like to admit even. Uh, the first, um, and I think that was the one about the, uh, I bought a piece of land. I think that land could be referred to or thought of as long-term commitments, something out there. Uh, when I was chatting with Paul last night, is he here this morning? There you are, okay. <laughs> Talking about, uh, you know, how we, how we deal with depreciable things, and I think that probably I mentioned something like, uh, uh, when it's a depreciating item, I like to pay cash, and, you know, yeah, I like you too, and that kind of thing. Now, on this land purchase, I needed to you know, plan ahead a, a little bit more or do a little different on that. And, and we were resonating. We weren't really sparring about that situation. But long-term commitments, uh, home or land purchases can be long-term commitments to leave a person tied up and unavailable for service. I have long idealized traveling lightly financially so that we are available for service opportunities when they arise. I do that imperfect, perfectly, but I am self-employed, so I can uh, tend to adjust and, and float some with the flow if there's, if there's opportunities. Uh, and it's not that we do, do all opportunities that we're asked to consider. Long-term commitments. Those can be things that block our availability for service to the kingdom of God. Well, there can be shorter-term obligations. The man had bought some oxen. For those of us, that could be maybe business debts or consumer debts. You know, the, the need to keep up with the Joneses can be a tremendous snare. Is that an issue? In, can be an issue in Virginia, Rich? Okay. Um, the, the uh, not being responsible with money. Someone said it in jest this way. Everybody should learn to live 
learn to live within their means even if they have to borrow money to do it. Uh, you, uh, financial irresponsibility is huge with individuals in our culture and in our land. And without getting too political, it happens in Washington, D.C. too. <laughs> Irresponsible use of money. Shorter-term obligations. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Large debt in any form can be a drain on spiritual energy as well as kingdom availability. How would it be for one of us to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and have him turn us away because our business was more important than serving him? Jesus talks a lot about our priorities. What gets our priorities? How easy is it to skip our private devotions, our personal devotions, those kinds of things? Different ones of us have different voices that are clamoring for our attention. The things that may distract me may not be the things that distract you. The things that distract us as men may not be the same things that distract our wives necessarily. Many were invited, but they gave excuses about why they didn't want to come. You know, that is so typical of human nature. They all with one accord began to make excuses. That's how it says it in the King James. When we are dealing with impure motives, we may find it hard to be up front with the real reason. You know, if I don't want to go to a church on Wednesday evening, I can generally come up with some excuse not to go to a church on Wednesday evening. But let's say I had given that, that excuse, that pretext for why I don't want to go, and all at once I find out, oh, that good chorus from back east is going to be there. You know what, maybe wasn't quite as urgent as I was thinking, or I'm not feeling as sick as I thought I was, or, 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 or whatever. It's hard for us sometimes to be up front with the real reasons. It doesn't sound too good to just say, I'm kind of unconcerned and lazy spiritually tonight. I don't want to go. You know, <clears throat> it wouldn't have sounded too holy, but maybe those people who were invited to the feast should have just said, I don't really want to come. Within reason, there is a sense that we will go wherever we most want to be. On that final day, many will be found wanting because of the priorities they set for their lives. Family priorities. I have married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. That sounds like a noble undertaking. Uh, sometime earlier when I was studying along the lines of some of these things, I talked to Leonard Mast from Hillcrest Home. He's a recruiter for BS workers. And uh, I wanted to hear from him what reasons he hears for people not wanting to come there to serve. The first reason he mentioned was, I've just started dating. Apparently, he hears that one quite a bit. He thinks that marriage and family are tied pretty closely to the American dream. The 
response and a bit of frustration, he asked one of these people how they expected to serve the Lord after marriage. You know, family priorities. This is a little bit of a of thin ice if you're a preacher to stick your neck out on something like this or maybe a little bit of a, of a, of a narrow ridge, a slippery path. I don't know how you want to call it. You know, I think it is possible, and I want to lay it out just a bit and flesh it out, that in our efforts to protect our families, that we can limit our availability for the kingdom. Now hear me out. We've often heard that our children are our first missionary responsibility, right? You've heard those, those kinds of things. And I think we agree on that, but how should that play out? Does that mean that every ministry opportunity should be weighed primarily on if this is going to inconvenience my children or not? Or that children should always be consulted, and if there's any hesitation on their part, that is the answer, and the invitation should be refused. Uh, Other parents may live with a very rigid schedule. My children need to get to bed at 8 o'clock every night or whatever it is. Boom. In a Wednesday evening service messes with that, I can't do it. And I don't know anything about your culture here on that, so I can talk pretty freely. And a, a rigid schedule that says, I will never bend anything for my children because they are my foremost missionary responsibility. We should never cross or inconvenience the rhythms of the schedules of our children. You know, we could do that with the stated interest of watching out for their well-being. Ironically, in that, we can model a very selfish focus. Much of kingdom living is about self-denial. And it shouldn't be just for you, Brother Pastor, that's asked to go somewhere. Self-denial is a whole lot about Christianity, taking up our cross and following Christ. And I don't know that... I mean, there's two ditches here. And there, there's a ditch where, uh, where a family can truly be neglected. I like the example in Judy's family. Uh, her father was called a lot to go away into... Uh, church work, those kinds of things. And uh, it was it was a handful. In, in fairness, I'm, I'm not quite sure how I would reanalyze all of that, but there was a heavy responsibility for a young mother without limitless resources, taking care of eight or nine children at home. But there was times that she would say, you know what, daddy's, it's about time for him to get up to speak. Let's gather around and let's pray for him. I think that's a tremendous, tremendous example. There are valid considerations that ministry isn't practical for every time or for every place, for every situation. Not every ministry opportunity is a mandate from God. Maybe you have a family member that's struggling emotionally. And this would be traumatic, or it could be traumatic for you to leave. Live. Leave. 
Maybe it's an elderly parent that you need to help care for, and it wouldn't be a good time. Or maybe the assignment where you're going would be a hotbed of temptation for your teenage son or daughter who's going with you. Um, there are valid reasons to turn down ministry opportunities, but never inconveniencing our children may leave them poorly prepared for kingdom work later. Point number four. We need a wedding garment to enter the wedding feast. Matthew 22, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The bride hath made herself ready. She's prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now in verse 11 of Matthew 22. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. What is the wedding garment? What is the fine linen? What does it say right here? It is the righteousness of the saints. How would you describe righteousness? Help me here. Someone say something? Okay. How's that? Right living? Good. Other ideas? Acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. You know, our righteousness is not something that we earn, but something that we achieve by accepting Christ's finished work on the cross. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to His mercy. That self-righteousness doesn't work. That self-righteousness we find repulsive when we see it in others, but we sometimes practice it in ourselves. Romans 5, verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Righteousness of the saints, the white garment. It just seems to me that Jesus on that final day, if he sees his righteousness, that's good enough. And the audacity in this situation for a person to show up on his own merit, on his own righteousness, and the futility and the, and the horribleness of that situation 
this righteousness we access by the new birth. We talked about that several times this week. Uh, it's the overcomers who are qualified. Revelation 3, 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. It's the overcomers are the ones who are qualified to wear the white garment. The overcomers, the one who, who, uh, who will be, who are wearing the white uh, garments. Overcoming, being overcome, and being overcomers. What is the difference between those two things? Overcome and overcomers. Two letters, right? Yeah, Vincent. Okay, very well. Overcoming, uh, you are being under the power of something else that is stronger than you. And when you are overcoming yourself, you are exhibiting a power over that. I have thought of it this way already. Uh, I, I'm not a good swimmer. I'm not a beach bum. I'm not whatever. I have a, in, in Kansas, we're about as far from the surf as we could possibly be. But I've already been to places like, uh, I mean, I guess there's probably places farther away, but uh, Costa Rica and places like that where Judy's family is. And down at the coast, once in a while, you can see people who are surfing. And they're riding the waves. And there's something, I don't know even how they maneuver that board to where they get in position to they're ready for the, the next big swell and they can just you know, go out there and, and whatever. It looks like it's exhilarating, like this would be really <sighs> fascinating. If I would go out there, I don't think that would be my experience. I could see myself very quickly in a struggle for my life. There's about six feet of difference from being an overcomer and from being overcome. God is inviting those who are overcomers. Those are the ones who are qualified to wear the white garments. Those are the ones who are qualified to enter into that wedding, that final invitation. We face situations that are much larger than we are. Situations where we feel helpless on our own strength. And we cry out to God. We feel that strength perfected in our weakness. And in that strength we rise. We face the battle, the temptation, the enemy, and we overcome. We need to be watching and ready to enter the feast. Jesus used another story about a wedding to illustrate the importance of being ready for the arrival of the bridegroom. The story is about ten virgins. It's a very familiar story. You all know about the story of the ten virgins, right? You adults. You know, I don't understand all the customs of the Jews in Palestine. 
different countries have different customs, even different communities have different customs, different Mennonite churches have different customs on weddings and those kinds of things. Uh, Judy and I were privileged to uh, attend a wedding in India. It was interesting, this would have been kind of in the Christian context, but there were still a lot of things that were really, really different from how we do things uh, in Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, we lived in Nicaragua, like uh, many of you know by now, for around five years, five, five and a half years, something like that. And there we got in on a lot of Latin American customs. Uh, one of them was the weddings. We were foreign mission personnel, and there was a certain intrigue associated with that. And consequently, we had the opportunity to participate in some of their customs. I did decline the opportunity to officiate at weddings, but uh, we were, in different cases, in on some of the festivities surrounding a wedding. I remember the one back in San Jeronimo, back past where the electricity stopped. And it was a village that I, that I visited fairly often in my work. I was fairly familiar with the people who lived there, that kind of thing. Anyway, Pedro Artola, the pastor, his son, David, I think his name was, was getting married. And we were invited to the wedding. The time on the invitation, as I recall, was here's the wedding, and the, the wedding invitation is for 10 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, but before we went, one of our Nicaraguan friends uh, informed us there really won't be a big hurry to get to the wedding. It's not going to be starting at 10 o'clock exactly. Well, that was helpful. I think we delayed maybe a couple hours and kind of uh, bumped in there on those roads at about 12 o'clock noon, something like that. The wedding would be much later in the day. You don't have to hurry in at 10 o'clock. And we got to San Hieronimo. And they gave us seats, I think, maybe there on the back porch, as I recall. It was kind of a warm day like it would have often been. And we started to wait. We did that a while, and then we waited. After we'd done that a spell, we waited some more. And as we waited, we got to know some more of the custom of that area. A whole group of horsemen had gathered, and they had left to go over to the village where the bride was from. And they would fetch the bride, or they would get the bride, or she would come back with them. In uh, any way, as we waited and waited and waited, I guess this was happening wherever they had gone. Finally, about the middle of the afternoon, the news started spreading. Here they come. They're coming. They're coming. And you could hear the clattering of hooves on rocks as these horses were coming in. There was a general, a noisy clattering. You can imagine how the horses came uh, barreling into the village, the people on them. The riders had arrived. And amongst this group of riders was the bride. And now the wedding would go on. 
The wedding party disappeared for a while in one of the houses off on the side to get dressed, to get prepared. And then, then after a bit, or after a while, they reappeared, and a procession started forming up to the church. There was this whole string of people that were coming around and heading off to get over to the church house, to the church building. Well, just a brief farmer synopsis of the day was a couple got married, and we spent an awful lot of time waiting. You know, as I thought of this later, there was quite a few parallels to that story about those ten virgins back in Matthew. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps with no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest it be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They that were ready went with in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Can you shock in your imagination with my imagination just a little? With that group of ten young girls that were sitting around and talking, imagine Susie talking to Anne. What are you doing this evening? And maybe this was earlier in the day. I'm going to Zebedee and Magdalena's wedding. How about you? Yeah, me too. I just love weddings. And to think one of these days it will be me and it will be you. Do you really think Zebediah likes me? He's so cute. I don't know. In just kind of this chit-chat back and forth like girls can do so effortlessly. I can imagine the girls as they discuss their plans. And they were talking about their plans to be there at the wedding that evening or that night. I don't know who all else was planning to be at the wedding that night. This passage talks of ten. It was apparent that they had intended to be there. How did their plans play out? Five of them made it. Five of them didn't. How would you describe these virgins? What does it say? What's the King James parlance here? 
five were wise, five were foolish. Five went, five didn't. Five made sufficient preparations, five didn't. It's sobering, but I think it's very possible, very likely on that final day, the Mary Supper of the Lamb, there will be people who were planning to attend, who were hoping to attend, but won't be admitted. People who would assume who assumed they would be there but find themselves on the outside. I'm no theologian. I don't know what all the different nuances are of this parable, this story. But we can rest on this detail. Five assumed they would attend but did not prepare sufficiently to make it a reality. Now, an earthly wedding is an earthly wedding. To miss an earthly wedding isn't that big a deal. But to miss the final wedding is a big deal. It is a very big deal. We know that we need a wedding garment. That righteousness that we need does not come from within ourselves. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is all-sufficient, and only as we trust Him can we have hope. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to respond to His invitation. Missing the marriage supper of the Lamb is a mistake of eternal and enormous, almost unfathomable consequence. Point six, the bride must be holy. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I can testify to the glory of God uh, that when Judy and I were married, we both saved ourselves morally for each other. There's something beautiful, almost sacred, about entering into marriage that way. God can, He does forgive a sinful past, but it, did, it would have been so much different if my wife had married me, knowing that I had been, been careless and, and hadn't lived, uh, uh, hadn't saved myself for her. God is a holy God. God does not tolerate sin. When Christ comes, He's coming for a holy bride. The church that will ultimately be united to Christ will be a chaste virgin, a holy bride. In Nicaragua, where we live, prostitution was widespread. It wasn't unusual in broad daylight to see prostitutes along the side of the road leading into town. Their dress, with their actions, the prostitutes were trying hard to convince men to come and to take of their illicit fruit. And unfortunately, in that culture, they were far too successful. Unregenerate men fell into their trap, into their snare. And I can only imagine what those kinds of relations would do to a faithful wife at home. Man is intrigued with the allure of the forbidden fruit. In the Old Testament, many times, God's people, the Israelites, were unfaithful to God. And those word pictures weren't necessarily reserved just for the New Testament. 
Many times they went after other gods. The imagery was of them playing the harlot of being unfaithful. How many Christians profess a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the groom, but they play around with the distractions of the roadside harlots. And I'm not saying necessarily just sexual uh, improprieties, those kinds of things. Do we have a genuine love for the groom? Do we spend time in fellowship and communion with him in the garden in the cool of the day? Are we overwhelmed with his love to us, unable to comprehend what he saw in me to invite me to be his for life? Do we actively, enthusiastically support the activities of his bride, the church? Is your fidelity apparent to all around you? Do people in Gladys, in Rusford, in Lynchburg, know you as a man of your word, a man that can be trusted. What he says is what will happen. We can take it to the bank. Our lives must be consistent. You know, I love my dear wife, Judy, but sometimes I don't take as good care of her as I could. I can be inattentive I don't see her needs. If I'm engrossed in some project, she may, I may hear my name uh, uh, more than just once if she's trying to get my attention. You know, it's fun and it's interesting. I trust that God will give you a blessed marriage to see young people that are recently married and are deeply in love. The attention they have for each other, the love they have for each other, the just the desire to be in the presence of each other. The church, the holy bride of Christ. We've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you responded to that invitation? Today is the day of salvation. We must be prepared. When the bridegroom came, it was too late to go and buy oil. When Jesus is coming, comes, he's coming for a holy bride. A bride who's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. A bride who is overcome. A, bri- a bride who is pure and clean. A bride who is prepared. May we all be found in that number of the prepared ones so that we can enter into eternal communion with the bridegroom in those mansions that he has gone to prepare for his people. Let's all look forward to those blessed words. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And there he spent the ceaseless ages of eternity with him, for he alone is worthy. Praise his name.